In tragedy, we learn our life's purpose. I was terrified of pregnancy. I grew up in a very traditional and humble household where getting pregnant meant that you had to get married and settle down. It meant that if it happened while you were living at home, you would get kicked out of the house because clearly if you were old enough to have sex, you were old enough to fend for yourself. Tough love, I know. My parents were very strict. So when it happened to my sister at the age of 19, my world was sent spinning. She was forced to move out with her childhood sweetheart. They're still together, by the way, and they beat the odds. But man, at the time, the pain of watching my sister's life completely turn upside down left an indelible impression on me. And truthfully, it scared me to think that all my dreams could be taken away with a positive pregnancy test because abortion was never an option with my Catholic upbringing. The PTSD worked really well. Too well. I graduated college, medical school, fellowship, started my own business, and then it was too late. When I finally settled down and I tried, I kept miscarrying, and although the scientific, logical doctor that I am could rationalize why this was happening, the living, breathing, emotional woman was devastated by this loss for so long, and I kept blaming myself for having waited. I wouldn't wish losing a pregnancy on anyone, but having dealt with the pain of loss has made me a more empathetic doctor. Maybe this is my life's purpose. Hello, Clitizens. Today I'm reminded of the first time I went to a Banksy art exhibit in downtown LA. And for those of you who have never heard of him, I'm happy to be the first to introduce you to him. Banksy is an anonymous artist from England. He's a political activist whose street art and social commentaries have been featured on streets, walls, and bridges throughout the world. When I went to his first art exhibit, he wasn't the icon that he is today, but he was definitely on the rise. I walked into a large abandoned warehouse and completely missed the huge elephant in the room. It was literally a live elephant painted the same color as the wallpaper and it took me several walks around the art exhibit to finally see it. And the message was very clear. There's an elephant in the room and no one seems to notice. This is true of so many things and in particular true of miscarriage. I wanted to talk about miscarriage because many of us don't talk about it. It's something that we sweep under the rug as if ignoring the elephant in the room will make it disappear. So many women suffer a miscarriage at least once in their lifetime, and yet when it happens to you, you end up feeling alone, scared, guilty, and fearful for the next pregnancy. It's not an easy subject, I know, and truthfully, most people don't know what to say. There's some words that I would like to share with those women who have been through this. It's not your fault. Letting that sink in is the first step in the healing process. A pregnancy loss prior to 20 weeks is commonly referred to as a miscarriage or a spontaneous abortion. Most miscarriages occur in the first trimester, which are weeks 1 through 13. The incidence is estimated to be 1 in 4 recognized pregnancies. 1 in 4. That's huge. Imagine all the pregnancies that are unrecognized and 85% occur in the first trimester. A late miscarriage between 13 to 20 weeks is less than 1%, and this is because most pregnancies that make it past the 12th week in general tend to be very strong and viable. 
A study of over 53,000 women found that 43% of them had suffered at least one miscarriage in their lifetime, and the rate of loss was influenced by maternal age, medical conditions like thyroid disorders, diabetes, medications, substance abuse, and environmental exposures like radiation or chemotherapy. Being over the age of 35 makes you more susceptible because this is when most chromosomal abnormalities are more likely to occur. To simplify things, chromosomes are our genetic makeup. Babies inherit 13 chromosomes from mom and 13 from dad to make a total of 46 chromosomes. As we get older, babies may inherit more chromosomes from mom or dad because the cells just don't split as well as they did when we were younger. This is how you end up with babies with trisomies, meaning an extra chromosome. Most trisomies end up in miscarriages because the genetic material is just not there to make a normal embryo. However, some trisomies do survive, like trisomy 21, which we commonly refer to as Down syndrome. There are other genetic abnormalities referred to as monosomy, which means that you're missing one chromosome. So instead of having 46 chromosomes, you have 45. And in general, the most common missing chromosome is the X chromosome, which means that the embryo will develop into a female, but is missing the extra X either from mom or dad. Just to give you an example, a normal female is XX and a normal male is XY. Monosomy only has one X, and that usually means that they will have issues with fertility or abnormal development of the uterus, ovaries, and kidneys short stature, and heart defects. Why am I talking about chromosomes? Well, in short, I'm trying to tell you that if you suffer a miscarriage in the first trimester, the vast majority are chromosomally abnormal, meaning you had no control over this genetic malfunction. Thank goodness our body has a way of recognizing that there's an issue and it automatically rejects the pregnancy. It's when our body does not recognize that there's an issue, when we later on find out in the pregnancy, either through chorionic villus sampling, amniocentesis, non-invasive prenatal testing, second trimester testing, which looks at hormone markers like AFP, estriol, HCG, and inhibin, that could indicate a potential problem like open neural tube defects such as spina bifida, Down syndrome, abdominal wall defects, and other chromosomal abnormalities. Having a pregnancy loss in the first trimester is difficult, but completely out of your control. Now imagine finding out that your body did not recognize that there was an issue, and now you're faced with a pregnancy that could have chromosomal abnormalities. Both situations are extremely hard on a couple, but in my opinion, I almost would rather Mother Nature make a decision for me than be forced to make that decision myself. I could never do it, and I know that most moms that do live with the anguish of termination. The risk of miscarriage is lowest in women aged 25 to 29, about 10%, and as high as 57% in women over the age of 45. Pregnancy loss also increases with paternal age, so older males tend to contribute to early pregnancy loss as well. A study of 421,000 women showed that pregnancy loss appears to increase with the risk of subsequent pregnancy loss independent of age 
and that women who had experienced pregnancy loss were more likely to have a mother who also had a history of pregnancy loss, which suggests that there might be an inheritable component. Other risk factors include the following, infection, so 15% of pregnancy losses can result from an infection. Parvovirus B19 has nearly 8% incidence of loss, and the risk is 5.6 times higher in the first trimester when compared to the second trimester. Untreated syphilis also leads to a 21% increase of fetal loss and stillbirth, cytomegalovirus or CMV has a 2.5 increase um, odds compared with a person that does not have the infection. Surprisingly, HIV and toxoplasmosis does not appear to affect pregnancy loss. Other things like diabetes, um, certainly when diabetes is left untreated or it's uncontrolled, it can not only result in a pregnancy loss in the first trimester or make it difficult for women to get pregnant, but it also leads to lethal fetal anomalies if the pregnancy does continue. Obesity, which kind of goes hand in hand with diabetes. So a body mass greater than 25 has been associated with a nearly 70% increased odds of early pregnancy loss. Thyroid disease, we know there's a twofold increased risk of pregnancy loss in women with both hypo and hyperthyroidism that is left untreated. Stress, um, I can't emphasize enough. Stress increases your cortisol levels, therefore decreasing your immunity and making you much more susceptible to infection and therefore increasing the risk of pregnancy loss. Other life stressors like racial, ethnic, financial disparities, violence, insecurity about housing or food can negatively impact health and therefore also lead to early pregnancy loss. Other rare conditions like blood disorders that lead to increased coagulation like factor V lidin deficiency, protein S or C deficiency tend to lead to early pregnancy loss as well. IUDs. So although IUDs have been shown to be very effective at preventing pregnancy, there are rare exceptions where pregnancy might occur. And if you decide to leave the IUD behind, that has been associated with the higher incidence of pregnancy loss rather than removing it as soon as you find out you're pregnant. Medications, of course, there's numerous teratogenic medications like retinols, ibuprofen, and diclofenac appear to increase the risk of early pregnancy loss. And of course, smoking, caffeine, and alcohol consumption negatively impact a pregnancy. Cocaine, methamphetamines also increase the risk. And although marijuana does not increase the risk of early pregnancy loss, it does impact neonatal development. Environmental factors like lead, arsenic, radiation, and air pollution. And if on an ultrasound finding there is uh, shown to be a subchorionic hematoma, this is also associated with an increased risk, um, especially if it amounts to 25% or more of the volume of the gestational sac, with the greatest risk seen in retroplacental hematomas rather than marginal hematomas. And although we tell everybody, make sure that you're taking prenatal vitamins and folic acid, these have not been shown to lessen the risk of pregnancy and neither has progesterone. You know, oftentimes when we're doing in vitro fertilization, or if we find that a patient has a luteal phase defect, we supplement with progesterone 
studies have shown that this actually will not decrease the risk of early pregnancy loss. And I suspect that because most pregnancies are genetically abnormal, it doesn't matter how much progesterone you take, it just won't develop normally, so therefore it'll result in a loss. And of course, chromosomal abnormalities account for 70% of pregnancy losses. And there are things like anatomic anomalies, like fibroids, polyps, septums, um, you know, previous scar tissue from previous DNCs or uterine procedures that have been done can also contribute to early pregnancy loss. And it has been shown that if you remove these adhesions or masses, it can lead to a future normal pregnancy. Unfortunately, we usually don't know that this is an issue until a woman suffers her first miscarriage. And this is why evaluation is so important after having suffered a a loss. Trauma to the uterus is also a contributing factor. You know, the uterus is amazing. It's a big, thick, muscular organ, and it does a really good job at protecting the embryo, but violent trauma like gunshot wounds, you know, knife wounds, penetrating injuries, high impact, you know, as like a severe car accident where the seatbelt kind of crushes the pelvis, intimate partner violence. Even things that doctors do, like chorionic villus sampling in the first trimester and amniocentesis, can also lead to early pregnancy loss. Some of the symptoms that women can experience can be all or none. You know, I have some patients that come in and they have no symptoms at all, but then we do an ultrasound and they find that there's nothing in the sac or an embryo hasn't developed. Some patients come in with abdominal cramping or bleeding. Some are hemorrhaging, which is they're in the process of an acute miscarriage. Oftentimes, if there's an infection, patients can come in with a fever, abnormal discharge, or pus. Sometimes patients know that they're suffering a miscarriage because all of a sudden they stopped feeling pregnant. They tell me, you know what, my breasts don't hurt anymore, or I'm no longer nauseous. And things like an ultrasound can show us that, that this is the issue. Either there's a gestational sac, but no embryo, or maybe there is an embryo, but no heartbeat. And typically, if a woman is more than six weeks, at that point, we should see what we call a fetal pole, which is the development of an embryo. If you don't see that, it could be either that you got the dates wrong or that you know this could be an impending early pregnancy loss. We can confirm that by checking HCG levels. And also, I always recommend that patients check a blood type because oftentimes there are patients who have a blood type like A negative, AB negative, O negative that could have been exposed to a different type of blood type and maybe developed antibodies. And these patients can have recurrent pregnancy losses, especially if their baby is blood type positive, meaning O positive, AB positive. And, you know, this would be very important for us to know. So just to summarize, early pregnancy loss is the most common complication in early pregnancy, and the incidence can be as high as 31% and can decrease to approximately 10% when considering only losses occurring in recognized pregnancies, meaning a lot of women don't even know that they're suffering a miscarriage. Their period is late and they have heavier than usual bleeding and they just think that this was because their period was late and not because they're actually miscarrying. 
Common risk factors for pregnancy loss include increasing maternal age, prior pregnancy loss, medical conditions, medications and or substance abuse, environmental exposure. A common etiology of early pregnancy loss include chromosomal abnormalities and anatomic abnormalities as well as trauma. Bleeding, cramping are the most common presenting complaints of symptomatic women with uncomplicated early pregnancy loss, and this can be confirmed on ultrasound findings. The most common complication associated with early pregnancy loss is hemorrhage and infection, which can be severe and warrant rapid evaluation and intervention. There's several different options um, in an early miscarriage. One is if you're completely stable and you want to see if you can pass the tissue on your own, typically this can be a viable option, although I would suggest that you at least come in for a weekly ultrasound to make sure that you're doing well and that you're not getting an infection. Another option would be to take a medication called misoprostol. This induces contractions in the uterus and causes the pregnancy to expel on its own. The rates of success with this are about 95%, but oftentimes women can come in with needing another dose because nothing happened after they took the medication, or sometimes they can pass a portion of the tissue, but then some of the tissue is left behind requiring surgery. My favorite option, truthfully, is to perform a dilation and curatage. And the reason for this is because it's performed in a controlled setting where you're completely comfortable and sedated. You're not having to suffer this at home and be scared with the excessive bleeding. This also affords us the option of sending the tissue for genetic testing. I think for many of my patients, the genetic testing provides some form of closure for them where they realize that, yes, this was a genetic abnormality. I had no control over it. And therefore, those feelings of guilt and blame somehow seem to go away. All right, that is it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I want you to know that miscarriage is very common. You are not alone. If you have suffered a miscarriage and you have a friend or a girlfriend that's going through it, please don't be afraid to speak to her about it. So many women feel like they're dealing you know, with this issue alone, and it's nice to know that you have a friend and you have someone that you can talk to. And certainly, if you have a doctor, I would hope that they would open up to you and help you realize that this is a very common issue and that you're not alone. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure that you comment, subscribe, share this episode with your family and friends or anyone that you know that might have suffered or may be suffering from a miscarriage. It is only through us sharing this knowledge that we can help other people. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to either send me a personal message through my Instagram account, doctor, so it's dr. Period Elena Rodriguez, or you can also email me at Elena, E-L-E-N-A, at com. Thank you so much for listening. <music>